Hello, and welcome to the NatureWise podcast. We're talking about ancient wisdom, natural intelligence, and the regenerative revolution with inspiring guests, tips, tools, and stories that reconnect you to nature's wisdom and your inner wisdom. Thank you for spending some time with us today. Let's get started. Testing, testing, one, two, three. 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 Testing, testing, one, two, One, two, three. Are we recording here? Yes. Hi, Kimberly. How are you? Good. How are you? Can you hear my dog in the background? Oh, yeah. I heard a little bird. <laughs> yeah. There's I, um, the, I don't know if you've heard about the, the hurricane yeah. tropical storm out here. So I'm up in Northern California right now, but the wind today has been crazy. So really? there's someone at the front door. Yeah. <laughs> Oh my gosh, is it hitting down Santa Barbara at all or is it No, they just had okay. some rain. Wasn't too bad at all. So yeah. Yeah. yeah they were oh my lucky. gosh. But um yeah, it's crazy. So I just wanted I think you probably saw as you joined that this is already recording, but none of it is live. So we can mm. totally edit stuff and um and I will just do a quick little intro and then we can just start chatting so we capture everything and then we can edit as we need to. But you look great it's good to see you good to see you sounds good thank you thank you okay so we are recording all right um so let's see okay so i'm thrilled to welcome to our nature wise podcast today tay Lottie. she is an organizational design consultant at in rhythm did i pronounce that right Yep. <laughs> okay, because I know there was some debate on on one of um in rhythms, you know, videos or something about people pronouncing it right. Totally. Um, yeah. <laughs> so um, in rhythm is an organization who, through a living systems approach, is on a mission to transform workplaces and create conditions where health and abundance are the natural outcomes. Tay has worked with regenerative rising and the more compassionate collaborative and regenerative relationship toward our environment and social impact. Does that sound about right? Yeah. Okay. And we'll get That's into some awesome. more of your work, but really welcome. So, so glad to have you here. Um, and given the times, I feel like I just need to check in knowing that you are on a road trip, no hurricanes, earthquakes, or fires <laughs> where you are today. <laughs> You know, um, luckily it's getting better today, but there are some bad fires up in Canada, unfortunately. And um, I'm on Salt Spring Island, which is 
right next to Vancouver Island. And so we've been having some smoky days, um, but it's clearing up a little bit today. So we're seeing some blue skies. <laughs> the audio's cutting out a little bit. I'm not sure if it's the if it's the mic. Start letting me know. I wonder if it's maybe if you just moved it a little bit further away from your mouth. Doing better when I had it closer. Is that better now? It's still a little bit choppy. Yeah, maybe if so, you come closer. It's still, it has this like choppiness to it. Cute. Let's see. Okay, I mean, that sounds better like without, when you push it to the side. <laughs> that sounds better right now? Yeah, that sounds way better. <laughs> okay. right. Let's go with that. Should we start again or do you think we're okay? I think maybe we might want to start again. It's been really, a little bit that. choppy. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, well, if you don't mind, then we will start again. Take it's still, two. Is it here, still choppy? It's still choppy, yeah. I wonder if I'm just moving my face too much, if I have to keep my head. I just got a new microphone. I had another one that I gave to my son. So I just got this one. Oh, yeah. Is that any better or is it still choppy? It's still choppy. Okay. I'm going to just go to the MacBook headphone and MacBook Air. That sounds good. Did you, did it switch? Yep. So I'm yeah. Off that sounds it. clear. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Awesome. All right. Try to get all fancy and it doesn't work. <laughs> I know. Classic. Like use the new technology. Yeah, I have to like fluff my hair a little. <laughs> I know. Right. It's like, what? <laughs> it was so funny. The first Zoom meeting this morning that I had, I was like, I was joking with the, the guy I was on. I was like, gosh, it's always brutal. Your first Zoom meeting, you're like, oh, oh, I thought I fixed it. I know. You're I like, know. I promise right? to brush I my know. teeth. Not that that part matters to you, but. <laughs> right. It's like, oh, this is what I look like right now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Totally. It's so funny. So, okay, then I'm going to do your bio again. Okay. And um, so we make sure we get all that. Cool. Um, and did I pronounce your last name properly? Yep. Taylotti. Okay. Taylotti. Yes. Okay. Um, all right. Well, I'm thrilled to welcome today to the NatureWise podcast, Taylotti. Tay is an organizational design consultant at InRhythm, which I think I pronounced that right. Yeah. Okay, good. <laughs> An organization who through a living systems approach is on a mission to transform workplaces and create conditions where health and abundance are the natural outcomes. Tay has worked with Regenerative Rising and with the Capital Institute. She is committed to seeing our world embrace a more compassionate, collaborative, and regenerative relationship toward our environment and social impact. And there's so much more that you've done, um, but we'll get into that in just a few minutes. But first, just welcome and thank you for being here. Thanks, Kimberly. It's such a joy to have this conversation with you today. Yeah, I'm really, really happy we could do this. I so enjoyed our first, we met on one of um, the Capital Institute's online seminars uh, with John Fullerton, and um, that was great. And you and I connected in the chat, which is so cool that we we have these abilities now to, to do that. Of course, meeting in person is fantastic, but I've made some wonderful friendships and connections around the world um, So, in, with these new technologies, so I certainly appreciate it. Totally. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Um, so where you're on a road trip right now, you don't need to give up your exact location, <laughs> if trying to, you know, keep you safe or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. I'm a moving target too. So, <laughs> um, yeah, I've, I've been traveling up North to mm. British Columbia and I'm heading South down the Pacific coast from there. So, um, one of my favorite parts about working with Enrhythm is that we really embrace like a global remote work culture. Yeah. Um, and so I've, I've been spending a lot of the year traveling and, you know, whether it's connecting with different interesting organizations, communities, spend some time on a regenerative ranch down in 
South Africa. Um, yeah, it's been bringing me to cool places. So I found myself up up north in British Columbia right now. Yeah. Um, and and um, no joke about the fires up there and, and the, the tropical storm and hurricanes and, and earthquake down in Southern California yesterday. So um, you, you're safe and in a good place right now, relatively speaking. Yes. <laughs> yeah, luckily. Um, yeah, there's definitely some some big fires up up north in Canada. Mm. Um, they've they've been really experiencing that. And so as it is, I mean, yeah, it's something I've I've been very familiar with growing up in Colorado, what it's like to to grow up in some of these like very hazardous fire kind of contexts. So yeah. and luckily, only, getting, only getting more hazardous for sure. I've had several totally. people who um, had to, well, they, they lost their home insurance um, living up in the mountains because they're, you know, close to open space and forest land and, and their insurance wouldn't cover their homes anymore. So yeah. Yeah. But so since you mentioned your childhood, let's start at the beginning. Um, how does your childhood inform who you are today? Oh, I love that question. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel so lucky to have been able to grow up in Boulder, Colorado. I mean, you know, grew up out in nature, doing all the things, skiing, hiking, climbing. Um, and my mom was an artist and my dad worked in business. And I think that I was really raised to follow and pursue things that inspired me and like cultivate my own creativity and passions. And um, because of where I grew up, nature was a huge part of that. Like being outside, playing in nature all the time, um, being in a really conscious community uh, that was more forward thinking around climate change and sustainability and thinking about how we can be in more harmonious relationship with nature. Um, and that really influenced like, yeah, a lot of my passions, I would say. Sorry, I interrupted there, but thinking, hearing what you said about your parents, one being an artist and one being a business person, that um, because when I first met you, I was so struck how um, how much you've accomplished in such a short time. I mean, you're young and <laughs> so many cool things. And then I think now it must, part of it I mean I think everybody comes into the world with their own you know stuff um but certainly having parents with that balance really must have informed you and and, um, a little yeah oh definitely yeah I mean I think almost everything that I've done um has been really influenced by them just encouraging that sense of like follow your dreams, follow like, you know, that entrepreneurial mindset of, you know, whatever you want in the world could, could be attainable if you put yourself to it. And um, I do think that that also comes from like a creative mindset, um, that artistry side of um, dreaming and visioning. Uh, so yeah, I feel grateful to have that like split brain. It was something I didn't really know what to do with too. Like, you know, having the creative side, the the more business analytical side um, and have found like a, an, a place that holds all of that is design, you know, design really is problem solving. Um, And we see it in creative contexts through graphics and the built environment and um, interior and all that, but it's also the waters we swim in, like our, our world is designed, our societies are designed the ways that we use resources, all of that. Um, And so I think that that's where I've, I've found myself loving playing in that framework of design. Um, Yeah. Yeah. I love how you talk about design as as putting elements together. Yeah. One of my favorite um, definitions of design, obviously there's so many is by Charles Eames and he says design is just putting two pieces together to create a whole. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And sometimes when you put two pieces together, you get even greater than a whole. <laughs> totally. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's, um, I think that that feels much more relevant to the, the current design framework that I've been exploring a lot through and rhythm um, is this regenerative design framework. And it's it's based in, 
a living systems science that observes nature's patterns and how, you know, I've shared that same kind of premise that mother nature is the ultimate designer, right? When you look at the way that living systems live in pure unity and there's constant balance of everything and everything's interconnected and you can see the whole picture and it it holds all these tiny macro details in a beautiful way. Um, That that's the inspiration for a lot of and rhythms organizational design work or systems design work or like really looking to to that more complex view of design because um it it can't be reduced into you know one plus one equals two or or whatever it is when we when we are trying to do a lot of like challenging systems design we need we need those broader principles and patterns there that I think nature provides a lot of inspiration for. That's kind of the input. Yeah, mm-hmm. totally. So when when um when I think I'd love for you to talk a little bit more about being an organizational design consultant because when I first well I think that when one first hears that it's it's easy to go like, oh that's working with like org charts and HR. Right, <laughs> right, yeah. Bigger than that, particularly when we're, you know, talking about work in the regenerative space. And, and so could you talk a little bit about how you go into, well, first, let's actually, if you could back up and tell us how you, I know you you went to Syracuse University. Yeah. In creative leadership. And, you know, I'm so curious, like, I, well, my nephew just went off to college and my son's in college, my other nephew. Um, going into senior year in high school, about to you know start applying for colleges. Um, they have friends who are choosing not to go to college. Um, so there, you know, there's so many different paths to find your way, of course. But I'm curious, when you chose that major, creative leadership, what did that mean to you then compared to what that means to you today? Yeah, that's an amazing question um, because it it really wasn't a clear choice at the time. Um, <laughs> I relate to all those pathways that you just shared of like, should I go to school? Should I not? There was, I tried to drop out of school. Um, I got really connected to the like student entrepreneurial community at Syracuse, which luckily um, is super well-resourced and was an amazing like incubation and learning environment for hands-on learners, which I really relate to that. And um, yeah, I, I ended up working on a company and starting a company with a friend and it was through that didn't you what was that some awards for the company you started right yeah we we did a lot of business competitions I pitched it South by Southwest so we were one of the top um, college startups in the nation and what was that it cut out again incredible oh <laughs> yeah I mean I again I feel lucky to have uh, found myself in a community that like really encouraged that and supported it. Um, and yeah, it was a huge growth opportunity for me to think more critically about like what it, what it means to create a business. And, um, and at the time I was studying design in school, but we were, the platform we started, it was a tech platform that was in the tourism industry and we were connecting travel filmmakers with local tour operators when, as they were out traveling and shooting so that they could be promoting all the local experiences around them. And I was designing the platforms for that. I was working with developers. I was doing all these things that I was like, I'm learning so much more just doing this than like studying it in school. And um, that was where I think I started to think more critically about like our traditional academia institutions um and and you know it's it's like anything like it's an investment we make in ourselves. and kind of back to my upbringing being more unique that was how my parents framed it right like going to school it costs this amount of money it's an investment in yourself how do you want to invest it you could go to school you could get a degree you could go travel the world you could buy a house or whatever what whatever it was and um so door number three and do all of those (laughs) yeah exactly I'm like how can I and that's back to the design mindset right like okay so how do I design how do I design the life I want and and what is um 
what do I need to learn and and how do I want to invest in that and so when I was at Syracuse like I was exploring everything like I was that classic you know maybe like liberal arts student that was like I don't want to just focus into one little area in school and take business classes like and um that was how I found the creative leadership program at Syracuse it, it was brand new and I think because of the attitude I had towards like wanting to really leverage it and use it to work on a business at the time I, it was super malleable like I could kind of design the buckets and so the buckets were design entrepreneurship and organizational development because you know I was beginning to learn how no matter how amazing the idea is that we have, if we can't find a way to work together on achieving that idea, then it's never going to be realized. And so that was where I really started to see um, what organizational design was. Like I had no clue really what that was before. I love it. That's a very, very cool story. And mm-hmm. that you were given that opportunity from, from your family and, and that you've taken such advantage of it to um, apply what you've learned in service to a more peaceful, just, and regenerative future. So I appreciate that. Um, So um, when you go into um, new situations, for example, you you went and did some, um, I don't know if it was through Syracuse or just your own initiative, but you you spent some time with um, Ashwar people, indigenous people, right? Can you tell how that came about and, and what, um, well, one of the things that struck me about when you and I first had our first conversation, um, because frankly, I don't, I was raised, as, as I shared with um, a, a lot of um, Indigenous uh, spiritual mentors, um, teachers, through my dad's work with Indigenous people around the world. And so one of the principles I was raised with, like, I don't ever remember not having this be a part of how I think and operate is the concept of right relationship. But I don't meet a lot of people in our sort of Western world that use that phrase, and you used it very quickly in our in our conversation. <laughs> so I yeah. went with you using that phrase and your time with the Ashwar and and how that all came to be. Yeah, yeah, that was yeah, spending time down in the Ecuadorian Amazon with the Ashwar communities was one of those pivotal moments for me, I think, in life. Um, and I ended up down there because we got really lucky with the, when I was working on this company and we were connecting travel filmmakers and local operators. Um, I met the just operations manager of this super unique ecolodge, ecolodge um, enterprise down in the Amazon that's 100% owned and operated by the Ochoa Indigenous Nation. And that immediately piqued my, piqued my interest because you don't you really don't see entity structures like that, that are indigenous owned. And, um, and I had the opportunity to go down there, um, on one of our projects, just, you know, capturing content, helping tell that story of, you know, how this, how tourism came about, um, for the Ottawa nation and actually how it's a really critical part of them preserving their culture and preserving their land and the forest around them. And um, it happened to be at the peak of like when the world was, it seems like the topic in the media was really focusing on deforestation in Brazil and everything was like, even though it's been going on forever, that was like such a um, peak interest for me in my like sustainability and climate journey. And Um, so when I was down there in the Amazon and I, and I had the opportunity that I recognized at the time was very unique to, to sit in community with, uh, the Achuar people and, and ask them like, what do you all think the solution is to this? Your backyard is burning down around you. And, um, they were like, you don't need to come down here and help us. You need to go back to your world and your people and change the dream of the modern world because it's turned into a nightmare for everyone. And they were speaking about this more beautiful, green, regenerative, like right relationship future that they saw was possible, but they could see the interconnectedness, right? Of consumerism and um, the industrial area and, and all the things that have affected the way that we've been able to be in relationship to our living systems, whether that's 
natural systems, our human systems, our social structures, all of that. And um, it planted such a deep seed in me just hearing that um, and, and recognizing, you know, the world is what you dream it and our dream has become a nightmare. Um, but it was kind of that exact point to me of like that bringing that awareness to how we are in right relationship or we have the opportunity to be in right relationship. It's a choice. Like it's a design, the way that we've designed a relationship with nature, the way we've designed a relationship with each other, the way we've designed our economies, the way, you know, when we get into a lot of what you and I were exploring the capital institutes intro to regenerative economics conversations, um, it's all been designed this way. And that was really the invitation that I felt from the Achuar communities was, you know, go help create a better dream, go help create a better design. And um, yeah, that I, I came back from that journey and couldn't stop thinking about that and dove deeply into indigenous wisdom for environmental leadership. And um, my favorite book is Braiding Sweetgrass and um, there's just, there's so much in, in that way of being, um, that I, I feel so resonant with just, just as a person that I want to live, but then also, you know, part of what I want to bring into the world and the impact that we have. Um, so that's what sent me kind of into this work that I do now with, within rhythm and, and in organizations and, with other people of, um, yeah, how do we create healthier relationships and ecosystems with each other? Because that's so much of what being in right relationship is founded on. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, Braiding Sweetgrass by Robin Wall Kimmerer, by the way, in case anybody is, yeah. is interested in, in checking that out, we can put a link in our show notes for that too. But yeah, it's a beautiful, beautiful book for sure. Good inspiration in there. Um, so tell us a little bit now with your work with In Rhythm. I know they have, um, you know, like six principles that really ground and drive the work that your whole team does around the world. Um, can you talk us, tell us a little bit about what it looks like when you go into an organization and, and work with them and what the goals are and impact? Totally. Yeah. Yeah, the, the main goal um, for Enrhythm as we establish any type of partnership with an organization, and, and that's really what it feels like of more of a partnership of how do we help create the right conditions in your organization that bring for more health and abundance and just those natural outcomes of, of um, working from that place of health. Yeah. Um, so so yeah. when we design for organizational health, you know, it's, it's kind of the same thing as your body, right? Like when you can feel in your body, when you're, when you're sick or something's off, like something I really relate to, like I've always had so many, like just gut issues, right? Like I'm part of the world that's like, our guts are so inflamed and that whole aspect of, you know, what do I actually see is going wrong? So like, doing that initial health assessment um, is what we do in an organization of understanding like within these areas of health, what's going wrong and how can we create a more holistic approach towards addressing that, that focuses on, you know, first and foremost, our relationship as people working together. Um, and then what we're collectively in service to do in the world, like what is our impact? What is our mission, what is our vision? Um, and then how do we design that work? Like, what are the structures that we need to design that work that will allow for the most abundant natural outcomes to come out of it? Like the same thing that we see in a living system, right? When a living system is designed well and it's in a balanced, healthy state, you get thriving, natural, abundant outcomes from it. So that's a lot of what and rhythms regenerative design principles are, are designed after. I love I I um love what you just said about the the natural abundance because when something is healthy there is natural abundance and as a society I think we've gotten into such a um you know it's like there's pride in how little you sleep right or how how hard you grind and all the mechanistic phrases we we yeah 
they're so forced and, you know, you're going to, you know, you're going to move the needle and just there's, I know you guys do a lot of work around language too, but it, yeah, psyche, the psychology of like, that it's good, <clears throat> excuse me, good to push and force um, rather than there be a natural flow and ease, you right. know, for hard work. Like I, I'm not saying that it doesn't take hard work to create, you know, impact, right. um, but, but, but they're also the natural flow of how that hard work is done collaboratively and, and within a living system is so different than the individualistic kind of, I'm going to push and push, push, push. It's something that I have to work on all the time for myself. And, and, you know, right. I've grown up even with the, the um, inputs that I've had from my family and background. Totally. Yeah, because yeah, it's just unfortunately it's it's part of yeah, this system that we're designed to work within and to your point there's 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 a need for it in certain contexts of of course there needs to be hard work and drive and we need to reach our goals and we need to see outcomes and and that's all an aspect of the design but when you look at where that came from you know it really came out of the industrial revolution and and the design of the machine and you see the the influence of the design of the machine onto our organizations and and ourself right like we even see our bodies as machines sometimes right like you'll see that type of language of you know getting burnt out is is a reference to like a mechanistic thing right and and that comes from this whole idea that your input creates output and we're going to drive you to do that. And if you burn out, like you're a replaceable part in the machine and <laughs> yeah, totally. You're a cog in the wheel. Um, Which is yeah. what people are, are stepping away from. And I feel like ultimately that's what really is, is going to drive the shift that, that we need to happen for a regenerative and healthy future because for a lot of people, like things thinking about climate, right. Or, um, you know, it's like, it's out there. Right. And, and this is such a West Western, um, way of holding, holding, um, consciousness is that like nature and environment are out there. I'm here. Right. Where the indigenous perspective is like, we're part of nature. We are the environment. Like we're all part of this interwoven web. Right. Um, and so, mm -hmm. and with our current consciousness, it's so much easier to like push aside, like what I'm doing here today has nothing to do with the climate that may or may impact us down the line. Right. And, and certainly with, with the um, right. issues that we're facing now that I think, you know, that there's some big calls to uh, calls to action happening, but, but it's the, I really keep thinking that it's going to be the mental health part that really drives people even more personally to take action because they'll start to see how, when, um, you know, you're taking better care of the whole system, you feel better, right? You don't just feel like a cog in the wheel. You feel like you're part of a healthy, vibrant, vibrant system. And what's good for the ocean over here is going to be good for the ocean over here. I remember when I started Ecomom and, and this was back in 2006 and I think one of my first kind of um, campaigns or calls to action was the Ecomom challenge. And, and one of them was like, drive more, I mean, drive less, sorry, drive less, <laughs> carpool more, walk more. And, and I talked so much about how, like, you know, when you're, um, you know, walking, you get to see the trees, you notice them more. If you're carpooling, you get to know your neighbors more in the community and, and that's good for your mental health. And then the, the walking or riding your bike or skateboarding or scootering, whatever, you know, you might be doing is better for the environment and it's better for your health, you know? So it's like these systems, there's like, everything is so it's better for all of us when we do the right thing and right when we're in right relationship. Totally. Yeah. And that, and I think that that's becoming so much more of a topic of conversation is the intersectionality between these things, right? Like when you focus on environmental justice, you can't leave out social justice. It's, it's all part of um, that more holistic picture. Um, and yeah, I love that you called out that, you know, there's, there's so many interesting influences on why we see the world the way that we do. And there's the Western influence and the Eastern influence. And there's, um, you know, all of these things that we can kind of point at where you see like 
culturally the way that we've built this to to become the crisis that it is now and um i've found that that lens is is more empowering because again it, it lets you see why it was designed to be the way that it is and then that gives you the choice of like okay so do you want to be part of creating the new design yeah. um and and back to your point around like mental health i mean i have so many friends you know i'm young and have so many friends working in in the climate space and we all sort of have this drive to want to be part of the impact and the solutions but then it's so heavy to to also be someone living in the world that we're living in that's full of um, inequities and climate disasters and all of that and and um, I really like just seeing friends have climate anxiety or things that just weren't a thing you know before our generation and and seeing solutions like a design mindset that allows you to see like we've designed you know what's come about in in very unintentional ways because we weren't seeing the whole. So like, how could we apply a different design towards, towards this that is more holistic and interconnected and in right relationship and resilience and adaptable. Uh, um, I'm going to pause for just a second. There's like somebody sawing outside my house. So I'm going to step away just for one second and try okay. to extra <laughs> <window. laughs> Hi. Hi. <laughs> so on these days, time right. Um, so um, we were talking. You were talking about um, your peers, and and you mentioned like climate anxiety. And um, Heather White, who um, was, um, I don't know if she still works for them, but she worked with with Environmental Working Group and Ken Cook for for a long time. She's great, and um, she just wrote a book about climate anxiety. I'm trying to remember what it's called. I will look at that, but while I'm looking, um, what I what I love about the regenerative revolution, the regenerative movement, is that it brings hope. Like it bring, it's talking about solutions. There's a guy I follow on social media. I'm hoping to talk to him soon. His name is Mike Hudima, and uh, he uses the hashtag um, Act on Climate and he's all about solutions. Like he just constantly is like, look at this solution and look at this solution, like real world things that are being applied both, you know, big and in global scale and also small community, you know, in the home and communities. And, um, but I just, it's so important that, that people realize that there are so many solutions out there and it's just electing the leaders and and giving our our corporate CEOs the courage and the roadmap to to see that there are ways to to make a change right and that totally. is so much more heartening than than just feeling like oh gosh we have to just like right. watch the ship go down you know it's yeah like, we can turn this around really fast. right <laughs> I know right but what do you, what do you see as like the biggest right now to the regenerative movement to making the changes that we need to make mm. you know it's very in alignment with what you were just speaking to of um you know when I first dove into the regenerative movement it was with regenerative rising and I had the the amazing opportunity to work on all these global event series of you know we were putting on this conference called the regenerative earth summit and we would bring together thought leaders, brands in the food industry, the fashion industry, like policymakers, finance, NGO, all of these levers within transitioning the food system from an industrial food system to more regenerative food system. And then it brought it into like, you know, how does this movement apply outside of the food system? And um, so I, you know, I saw all the inspiration of like, um, I remember so specifically I was I was in one keynote talk with Wizapan Little Elk mm -hmm. and he was speaking to seventh generation philosophy and um you know he said like 
all the solutions are out there. They they're there for us. We just need to implement them. Like that's our that's our call. That's why we are here. That's why we are this generation within the seven generations. That's why we were born when we were born. And and I so resonate with what he was saying because that was what I was starting to realize of like all the solutions are out there, but we can't, we don't know how to work together. We can't operationalize them. And so like, that's where I really started to see the the challenge around the op. It, it is the operational challenge. It's, it's the design, the, the management, the structures. Um, how do we work together? How do we collaborate? How do we, you know, break down all these silos that we've created in all these different industries that are having a negative impact on our climate or, you know, socioeconomics or anything, right? How do we um, tear that all down and, and redesign a different way to operationalize business and, you know, regeneration and, and all of these things. Um, and so, yeah, like climate change and the environmental challenge, it, I don't see it as much of it. It's not an environmental challenge. It's a human challenge. <laughs> so yeah. that's the, that's what I see the, the challenge is is human nature. <laughs> right. Um, and, and that's what, again, you know, really drew me towards and rhythm and, and our, our approach there where, you know, it's about organizational design development and management. And so it's, it's about it. How do we actually work together? Mm-hmm. I love, I have to say, by the way, as a former professional dancer, I love the name in rhythm because that's so important. All of us getting back in rhythm with our own inner, right. our, you know, the sort of outside nature. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. Um, did I mention last time we talked um, the book Rebecca Costa wrote, um, Thinking Our Way Out of Extinction, The Watchman's Rattle, Thinking Our Way Out of Extinction? No. That's one of my favorite books. Um, and she talks about, it's really looking at, she's a, you know, sociologist and <clears throat> works with, you know, top tech companies around the world and, and um, looks at trends. And, and so this book is really focused mm-hmm. on how civilizations collapse, right? And how we build technologies and the complexities become such that we, with our human brains, can't keep up with what we've created um, but it's in these sort of aha moments that we propel things forward. And with current science, we have the ability now to, to have studied like what conditions create aha moments. And a lot of the things, again, going back to the, the living systems and what's good for you is good for these aha moments. So things like deep breathing, yoga, time in nature um, lead to, to these moments that that can propel us forward and also evolutionary pressures like when things Mm. get really hot literally and figuratively um you know that thing about the diamond you know being forged and the the friction right um one of the stories she tells in fact is about uh I think the guy's name was Wade Dodge and he had been a fireman for, you know, I don't know, 40 years or something. So studying fire his whole life and and um they were out uh, can't remember Wyoming, Montana, um, you know, huge massive fire. And him and his team were in a situation where they were backed up against, you know, some sort of cliff or something, and the fire's coming. And they're really like, we are not going to survive this. Like they were about to get taken over by the fire. And all of a sudden, like literally when he's facing death by fire, and I get goosebumps now thinking about this because of Maui, of course, what, what just happened over there and how horrible. But um, when this this guy Wade was in this, this pressure moment, he had this aha experience of if we dig a trench around us, the fire will stay away. And so that was what they did and it worked and his whole team survived. And, and that really revolutionized firefighting, you know, how they dig yeah. fire. This was like 40, 50 years ago or something now. Um, but I think it's like to what you said about us being born now, like there is a reason each of us is here right now and, and you matter and each of our listeners matters. And we all can be part of that change if we open up to it and we keep the hope there and we keep moving forward um, and we keep doing and being and creating situations that can lead to those aha moments 
that mm -hmm. give us the the um the solutions give us the ideas to implement the solutions how to galvanize enough people to to you know do what's what's already um possible right yeah totally yeah, yeah. good and i just it feels very um yeah i wish every kid could read it in high school cuz it's very hopeful and um you know yeah <laughs> i love that and i books. yeah <laughs> I love that thread and I could add on like maybe to bring it to a close, like what I find to be the most ho hopeful things for me as well, like are those key things that you just, that we've been talking about this whole time of it's so cliche, but like spending time in nature, like I'm always sitting outside doing calls and, and people are like, are you even let indoors? Like, but just taking any moment you can to, and they keep um, your hair. <laughs> yeah, to, um, to spend time with nature, it will regenerate yourself. Like, yeah. W w coming back to yourself and, and really recognizing like how, how to take care of myself and, and make myself feel the most healthy um regenerative potential I can is that like you know think global start local type of mindset like you need to take the first step which is always with yourself and um one of my favorite poems is by David White and it's called start close in mm -hmm. um, and he talks about you know take that first step the step that you really don't want to take and and I think the truth is that like when we reflect on all of the challenges and the problems we see in the world, it's like it's hard to um, be honest with how we're part of the problem yeah. and how our mindsets and our behaviors and our actions are leading to it, whether it's subconscious or conscious and how we can shift that. And um, again, you know, that's like a big, a big focus that we have it in rhythm is, you know, it, it takes each of us recognizing our own mindsets and behaviors and, and patterns and, and making little shifts to that and a little shift to your own habits, like going out in nature every day and what that seeds for you down the line in terms of helping you see more hopeful, abundant, inspiring, beautiful, like world that is possible. Absolutely. And for those folks listening who, who live in cities where maybe, you know, go walking outside and being in nature isn't as accessible as it is for both of us, even just having a couple plants in your windowsill, you know, that can really just bring one, it helps clean the air, but it also just can help you remember that connection and feel more like you're yeah. part of or going out and just peeking out up at the night sky and find the moon or the stars and just reminding you that you're part of this beautiful, beautiful world. Um, so I know um, I want to be mindful of your time, but Tay, I know you're a big foodie. So um, yeah. would you share what your favorite food and also what your favorite source for recipes is or are? <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay. My favorite food in this moment are figs uh -huh. because they are growing so abundantly up here in Vancouver. Um, it's like peak fig and blackberry season. And there's just been this like, like you drive down the road and there's like this intoxicating smell of fresh blackberries just ready to be picked. And um, these fig trees have the most amazing figs. And it's just such a luscious like delicacy that is so, it, it always like, you know, this time of year is my favorite for cooking. Like you said, I'm a huge foodie. And when you're in the harvest and you're reminded of the abundance of the world, it's like from a food standpoint, it's the most inspiring thing for me. And um, in alignment with that, like my favorite, one of my favorite cookbooks has been uh, the Six Seasons cookbook. And it's all about how you cook seasonally of what's what's growing locally where you are um and and being more connected with your local food source um is something that's always inspired me and I love bringing people together around the table just to like experience that joy yeah 
I love it's true. It's such a good, it's such a powerful connector. I was just trying to remember because I read something a while back about figs and and talking about how systems work together in nature. And it's it's something about like the wasp goes into a fig and and like as she, if I'm remembering correctly, she like loses her wings as she goes into the fig, lays her eggs. And then somehow there's like a, the fig, yeah. I mean, of course, you know, the bees being pollinators and such, but, but there's a really deep relationship. Some part of the bee gets left in the figs as they come to ripen for us. And it somehow supports the, you know, ongoing life of the other wasps and bees <laughs> do you know about I've that? seen that I've seen that diagram before yeah like people are like sometimes people find like a dead bee in their fig <laughs> like yeah one of my favorite recipes with figs is I love getting um like fresh pasta or make fresh pasta and um fresh buffalo mozzarella and figs and you just cut cut it all up and toss it together with a little avocado or olive oil and you know salt and pepper to taste and it's so good oh my god i know figs and cheese and a little bit of balsamic like some toasted pistachios oh yeah that's amazing food we can talk about that more on our next visit together i would Um, love that Thank you so much for um, for spending this time with me. And I, I look forward to continuing to get to know you. And I'm just really grateful that our paths have crossed and um, safe journeys. If you're going to be in any of the towns that, that I'm in, um, Sausalito or Santa Barbara, give me a ring. Yes, I will. Thank you so much for the invitation, Kimberly. It's always a joy to chat and for your excited work. to see what comes from it. <laughs> Yeah, I, I, well, I just appreciate the the seeds you're planting with me and the ripple that that we're creating together and, and how that continues to blossom. So me too. It's a whole garden. <laughs> Good. Well, um, take care, safe journeys, and uh, I'll talk to you soon. Thanks again for joining us today. Make sure to check back regularly for more inspiration. And if you enjoyed this, subscribe on your favorite podcast platform and leave a review on Apple Podcasts telling us what you learned. Also, share it with a friend via text or email. Remember, most of all, you are a sacred, worthy, luminous being, and we are so thrilled to share this regenerative journey with you.